Now, we just got done last year studying the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we learned that the, through persecution of the Roman Empire, the people of God have been scattered throughout the, the known world. So Peter is writing to all of those believers who have been scattered all over the Roman world, fleeing from persecution. And this is what he says. Peter, an apostle of Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never, never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith. Hear that again. You are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets like Jeremiah, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently uh, and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. People of God, this is the word of God. We're going to start, for those of you who may not be uh, maybe visiting, not regular attenders here, we uh, often do what we call neighborhood groups. I'm going to ask us to break up into neighborhood groups. And basically what we do is we just kind of get together with a couple of people right around you. Uh, and I'd like us to talk this morning because I, I wonder a little bit what all of us are thinking. When you heard Kevin say that we're going to spend an entire year talking about exile and flourishing in exile. Because I'm finding that people have all sorts of notions about what that means, all right? So I'd like you to get together in your neighborhood groups, talk about the scriptures we just read, and what are kind of your, your opening thoughts, questions, uh, understanding of the whole theme of exile. And if, uh, yeah, and hey, if, if you, this is weird for you, and you don't wanna just pretend to pray, okay? All right, go! All right, let's go ahead and uh, get back uh, in places. Take a moment to do that. Feel free to turn your chairs around, whatever you need to do. So I, I'm interested, what, uh, would somebody share maybe something that came out of your neighborhood group, some that people brought up? Yes. 
Okay, the notion that exile may not necessarily be a physical thing, but an internal spiritual thing as well. Okay, good. Somebody else? Don't be shy. Yeah, Jim. Yeah, so the, the exile, the Babylonian captivity was actually a plan of God to protect his people during that period of time. Good, thanks, Jim. Somebody else? Yes. Okay. Yes. Right, so the, the, the whole notion of flourishing in exile, in ways that the, the culture can see and, and understand. And it is different from what the uh, popular culture thinks it is. Good point. All right, I'd like to start this morning by, by continuing to build a little bit of a foundation about what we're talking about and, and what we mean. Uh, when I was 13 years old, uh, I went on a pilgrimage. And I I didn't really uh, give my life to Christ until I was almost 15 years old. And so at the age of 13, I was in, uh, just finished up seventh grade, and, and Pope John Paul came to Iowa. Some of you may remember that. And so I decided as a 13-year-old that I was going to go see John Paul. Why? And I was interested. Now, I didn't grow up Catholic. But I was, always loved history and was a student of history, and I knew that this was going to be a historic deal, that the Pope was coming to Iowa. So I walked from my house, which is, uh, if you, you know Des Moines, I lived on Madison Avenue, two miles uh, east of Merle Hay Mall. The Pope was coming to Living History Farms. So I got up at 5 a.m., and I walked. Because my parents, I told my parents, I want to go see the Pope. They said, well, how are you going to get there? <laughs> I guess I'm walking. They said, I guess you are. And so I walked. I'll never forget the day. It was, I mean, 100,000 more people uh, there at Living History Farms. And I'll never forget, I got, uh, I, I had no plan. I had no money, no food. I mean, I was a typical 13-year-old. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going with it. And uh, I I saw a guy selling donuts, and he gave me a job selling donuts. He said, if you sell donuts for me, you can eat as much as you want. Sweet! So, God provided right there. But I've always had this fascination. I'll never forget that day. I've always had this fascination with, uh, with the Catholic Church and just the, uh, the pomp, the how huge it is, how much power it has and has had throughout, the, uh, throughout history. But we need to understand that, okay? And time out. Please understand. I, I love my Catholic brothers and sisters. I'm not being critical of the Catholic Church. I know a lot of uh, Catholic brothers and sisters who, uh, whom I love. and good. But we're going to talk a little bit today about what the Catholic Church in its beginning, what was really happening, because it's important to understand that as we get into it. Kevin, uh, and in our story of Acts, with the end of the Acts period in the early church, we learned that there was over a million believers of Jesus Christ, 
meeting in what scholars estimate to be over 40,000 homes around the known world. Think about that. A million believers, 45,000 home churches uh, around the world. Meanwhile, there was a the church was beginning to grow, and Rome was the center of the world. The Roman Empire had been ruling for hundreds and hundreds of years. It was the center of power in the West. And in around the year 311, 312, Emperor Constantine had a victorious battle, and it was an improbable victory, and he, uh, he said that by divine guidance and by divine intervention, he had won the victory to become emperor of Rome. And very quickly, he converted to Christianity over a process of a couple of years, started putting the cross, the Cairo, on his coins. And the church that had been persecuted, now all of a sudden, Constantine said, no, not only is it persecuted, but it's going to become the safeguard of Rome. Christianity is going to be the emperor's religion and the empire of Rome. So overnight, almost overnight, the persecuted church became the Holy Roman Empire. And when I say that, I hear the Star Wars theme. Dun, 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 dun. But think about it. What a huge transformation that was. Now all of a sudden, Christians and pastors, bishops in the, in, the, in the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, now had as much power as Roman governors and senators. The empire, the Roman empire gave the church lots of money and land. And now the bishops were no longer just ecclesiastical authorities, they became authorities for the Roman Empire itself. So they became judges and governors. And it wasn't just being a spiritual pastor, it became a position of power in this world. Now, last year I unpacked for you this, I, this notion of, of the four levels. Let me quickly go over it. So level one uh, is where it's our relationship individually with Christ. So level one is my personal relationship with Christ. Level two is where I relate with Christ and the body of Christ and all of the other believers. It's our Christian community and how God and Holy Spirit is working in us on the community. Level three is the, is the temporal world. It is the, where, where the power brokers of this world reside and do their, it's business and commerce and government and politics and bank and finance. That's level three. Level four is the eternal spiritual world. It is the, it is the all-encompassing power of God in the eternal places. So I find it fascinating that what, what Satan did as the church exploded and began to turn things upside down. See, Satan is, the Bible says he's the prince and power of the air. He is the prince of this world. He has been given dominion on level three. That's why when Jesus was tempted, what did Satan do? Here's all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give them to you. Why? 
because they were his to give. That's where he operates. Just, just bow down and worship me. So what Satan did on a macro level is he said, okay, on level, I mean, this level four spiritual power since Jesus rose from the dead has been spreading around the world. People are becoming Christians. So Satan went, okay, tell you what, we're going to, we're going to turn that level four spiritual power into level three worldly power. Because what happens when all of a sudden you have lots of money, lots of power, lots of control? It becomes corrupted, right? And now all of a sudden the church that had been worshiping in 40 some thousand church homes began building big basilicas. And bishops who used to be interested in the spiritual nourishment of their people, now becoming a bishop became a political office that was traded and bought and sold and given to family members. And the priesthood and the power of the Holy Roman Church became corrupt. See where I'm going with this? So now we have the church being in power. So when we talk about Christendom, what, what we talk about with Christendom is that from that point forward, Christianity became the religion of the Holy Roman Empire. And for 1,600 years, it held sway. Christianity has been the ruling religion in the West. And even in my lifetime, I've watched, it's been fascinating to see how, how just growing up, everyone knew at least the basic Bible stories. Isn't that true? I'd go into the doctor's office and there was always a Bible story book in the waiting room. It was everywhere. I was just reading in the Wall Street Journal this week a professor who said that uh, she began talking to her class about, about Moses and she realized that not one student in her university class knew who Moses was. Scholars are now calling us the post-Christian world. And what they mean by that is that Christendom that has, basically Christianity has held sway for 1,600 years. Now in one generation, Christianity has become marginalized for the most part in our culture, in our world. Now, a couple things that I, I want you to understand. Hear this, three things that I want to say emphatically, okay? One, when we talk about exile and being people of exile, we are not claiming victim status. We serve a victorious Christ, amen? When we talk about being people of exile, we are not being persecuted. Now, our brothers and sisters in the Middle East and in China and in North Korea and in tyrannies all over the world are being persecuted. We, in Pella, Iowa, in the United States of America, are not being persecuted. We have incredible privilege. So that's not what we're saying. Number three, let me repeat what Kevin said last week. The kingdom of God is not in trouble. But Jesus said to his disciples, look, I'm sending you out as lambs to the wolves. Who has the power in that relationship? The wolves, right? 
I am sending you out as innocent, gentle lambs in a world that wants to eat you up. Therefore, he said, be shrewd as a serpent and as gentle as a dove. So what we're doing this year as we look at exile is we're trying to be shrewd about where do we find ourselves as the, as the followers of Jesus Christ in our culture today. What is happening? Jesus said you can look out the sky and see the storms coming. Why can't you see the signs of the times? So we're trying to be shrewd about what the signs of the times are telling us. And we're pushing into this idea of exile and how we live in exile. So very quickly, a couple of things. I want you to understand that number one, I think we've got the slide up here. The people of God are biblically, by nature, exilic. Let me say that again. The people of God, biblically, by nature, are exilic. Let me give you some quick examples. I'm gonna rifle through these. If you're a note taker, I'll try to give you plenty of uh, scriptures to look up later if you'd like to do so. Let's start with Adam and Eve, okay? Adam and Eve in the garden. Where, were they, where was home? By the way, exile in its very nature means away from home, to be away from home. So Adam and Eve at home in the Garden of Eden, they sin. What does God do? Banishes them from the garden. Now they're in exile. The whole story begins with exile. They're exiled from the garden. And in Revelation, at the very end of the book, what is it? It says that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and the people all are reconciled to Christ. Back home. It's our home. So the story, the narrative of the scripture is from exile, being apart from God, being disconnected, to being eternally one with him. Let's keep going. Abraham. God said, hey, Abraham, I want you to leave your home country to a, to a land I'll show you. What's that? That's exile. I'm sending you away from home, someplace else. Jacob. Jacob deceives his brother Esau, and his mother comes to him and says, hey, Jacob, your brother's going to kill you, so flee. Go into hiding with my brother Laban. That's exile. Joseph, the youngest of Jacob's sons, his brothers hate him so much, they sell him as a slave, and he ends up in Egypt. He's in exile. And then the famine comes and he provides food for his whole family. And the, they're the, the, the Hebrews in Egypt where they become enslaved for 400 years. Exile. And then they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Exile. David is crowned, he's anointed king as a boy. But before he became king of Judah at 30, Guess where he was? Fleeing in the wilderness away from King Saul. That's exile. You following me here? Elijah lived in exile away from King Ahab and Jezebel. The Hebrews in Babylon, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Esther, all in exile. Jesus, Philippians 2, who did not consider equality with God something to be clung to, but he took on the form of a servant and what? He left his home in heaven to come to earth to live in exile among us. 
so that we might be reconciled to him through his blood and through the power of his resurrection. The early Christians we've talked about. So this whole idea, you guys, is that we live an exilic life. What does the Bible say? My citizenship is in heaven. What does Peter say? He says, look, that salvation, these things, your inheritance, what God, Abba, Father has for you, is waiting for you in heaven. It's at home. We're just waiting to get there. And while we're waiting to get there, we're living in exile. Make sense? All right, three keys to exile and the exilic life that we're going to push into this year. Number one, orthopraxy more than orthodoxy. Big words. Ortho is part of right, straight, connected, okay? Straight and narrow. Orthodoxy is having the right belief system in my head. Orthopraxy is having the right life, conduct, behavior. And for years, the Church of Jesus Christ that I've been a part of has focused on orthodoxy. Got to believe the right things. Got to have the right. And doctrine is important. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's important. But guess what? The world doesn't give two cents about what we believe. They don't. I was reading this week about Carl Jung, the great uh, psychoanalyst, who through his life came to the conclusion that, that there had to be a God. And he believed it. And he even called Jesus Christ the central archetype. But when it came to Christianity... He was disillusioned by his father and his six uncles. All of them were reformed pastors. And he found them to be unhappy and unintegrated. And Jung basically said, Christianity doesn't work in real life. As exiles... Our job and what Jeremiah is telling the people of God in Babylon, live as the people of God. Live my example. Live my love. Live my grace. Live the way I've told you to live, that you may be an example. See, the level four reality is we want level four spiritual power to transform us at levels one and two, and how we relate to the world on level three, so that the world will look at us and go, man, what is it that you got that I don't have? There is something in your life that is different from everybody else I see. And believe me, they're not going to come to you and kind of go, all right, so um, could you walk me through your doctrinal statement? <laughs> but when they see you being generous in extravagant ways, when they see you giving grace and forgiveness where others would give judgment and condemnation, when they see a light and a love in you and your practice, the things that you do every day, that's transformative spiritual relationship with Christ. That's how we need to live as the people of exile. Number two, we need to return to our founding narrative. We have to offer an alternative way of life. 
Because guess what? We know that on level three, uh, just like Joe was saying, it's not working, right? The whole money, sex, power, get all you can, live for your gusto, YOLO, it's, it's empty and fruitless and leaves people empty and searching for something else, always looking for the next high. But we have to live in such a way that we go back to the founding narrative. Let me read it real quick. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Jesus Christ, the Son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him, here we go, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood that was shed on the cross. When we get back to the founding narrative, it's this. That yes, we live in a fallen world east of Eden. But there is a home that we're moving to. There is an inheritance that is ours through the blood of Jesus Christ. And there is a peace and a power and a fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, self-control that is ours through the power of the resurrection of Christ. Number three, our different has to be different. Can I just put it that way? (laughs) Our different has to be different. I have watched in my own experience how we have, by and large, as the people of God, stayed in our holy huddle. And we have created our own Christian culture with our Christian music and our Christian art and our Christian stores and our Christian coffee and our Christian clothing and our Christian, name it, if you can sell it, somebody will put a Christian on it and make and sell it to you. And everybody in the world is not going, oh, that's what I want. I want a shirt with a fish on it. That's not what they're looking for. They're looking for something that's different. They're looking for someone to love them and show them grace and show them generosity. Someone who knows love. Someone who... experiences peace in chaos. Somebody is patient. Somebody who exhibits kindness even to the people that hate them and treat them poorly. We have lived in Christendom for 1,600 years by living out what I will call condemnation. What is, never, what is not of God, we condemn it. We outlaw it. We shame it. We call people up in front. Put our shame on them. 
Our different has to be different. So we're going to be pushing in to the whole idea this year of holiness. Not reciprocating the world's hatred or condemning its ways. We are called to overthrow cultural norms. Hear this to me. We are called to overthrow cultural norms, not with temporal power. Let's join the Christian coalition and just outlaw everything. That's level three power, man. We've tried that for 1,600 years and it hasn't worked. We are called to overthrow the current culture, not through temporal power, but subverting it through living out our relationships with Christ bringing level four power to our everyday lives. So that's what we're going to be pushing into this year. And I hope you'll join us for the journey. We're going to ask the uh, worship team to come on up. A couple of action steps for us this morning. We have the action steps. Number one, if you haven't done so, join a sermon group or a class. We've got lots of groups that meet here at Third, uh, sermon groups, you just kind of get together with a small group. There are groups for men, there are groups for women, there are groups for kids, there are multi-agile groups, there are groups on the days of the week that work, there are before uh, work groups and at work groups. Uh, so find a group and basically you get together and you just talk about what, uh, you know, the teaching in the sanctuary and the, uh, the auditorium were. So you could do that. There are classes meeting. We are no longer FII having an 11 o'clock service here in the auditorium because at 11 o'clock, there's going to be a core class that'll be taught in here. And so we're, uh, you can just stay after the 915 service and uh, join the 11 o'clock class. That would be great. I would encourage you to read 1 Peter. We're gonna be going through this and studying it over the weeks to come. Read 1 Peter. Do it several times. It's a short book. But I'd like you to think about reading it from the eyes of an exile. Put yourself, imagine yourself as being one of those believers who's living in Cappadocia, far from home, flee from your life because you think the Romans were going to throw you into the lions. And read Peter as if you were one of those exiles and what he had to say to you. Recognize all the areas of your life, work, home, activities, community, online, church, in which you interact with popular culture or not, because some of us really don't. But recognize, where is it that I interact on level three with pop, popular culture and things of this world? And I would encourage you, if you are primarily engaged in community and culture that is predominantly Christian, I would ask that you sincerely pray about where God might call you to enter in. Just like he said to the exiles in Babylon, Babylon, you're here for a reason. I want you to live among them. I want you to pray for them. I want you to prosper. I want you to live your life in Babylon in such a way that as you prosper, they prosper. So where are we engaging in this world where we can have that kind of an influence? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you as we push in. Thank you for your blood that was shed on the cross. Thank you for the resurrection and the power that it gives us. Thank you, God, that you have triumphed over the grave, that you are victorious. 
Thank you that you have promised us a home, an inheritance that is ours right now, and that our lives are hidden in you in the heavenly realms. Help us to understand the power and the reality of that, and then live it out in all that we do. Help us to be people of exile that don't lord our faith over others, but that we love others to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's worship together.